Hello, and welcome back to the Not For Profits podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Trina Parham. And I'm David Devon. And we are two seasoned nonprofit professionals. And on this podcast, we talk about the behind the scenes, uh, what happens on behind closed doors in nonprofits, what's happening in the industry, and tools and strategies for navigating uh navigating that nonprofit space as black professionals. And today we're talking about the lessons from the pandemic. And um, I don't know, David, what do you think about this? Um, and what, what we need right now as black and brown professionals, um, given that experience? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, this, this topic um, I think is really important because I think a lot of black leaders, black professionals, workers um, saw the, <laughs> the spectrum of responses to this um, in nonprofits at the same time that there was an ask and an expectation to go even more above and beyond in terms of your time, your attention, and everything to the work because many of us uh, were doing work that is mission-driven. Those missions were inextricably linked with the uh, fallout and the disparate impacts of the pandemic on black community, on marginalized people. Um, and then at the same time, there was this, what I like to call this window of empathy, where during the uprisings for racial justice, uh, when we're seeing especially black and brown um, communities hit, hit hardest by COVID-19, uh, all this language within nonprofits and even corporate settings around care, around well-being, around support, around recognizing caregiving responsibilities, all of these things that people have been asking for, so accessibility, came into the conversation that were seen as being, um, you know, too feeling, too personal, too whatever um, before COVID-19. And so, yeah, that's what initially comes up for me, just the importance of not losing uh, what came up during that time and and some of the gains that were made and then have been <laughs> taken away. Uh, right. But yeah, that's what comes up for me. What about you? Um, well, first of all, I don't know. Is the pandemic considered over? True, true. I, I don't know. I'm So I think in this conversation, we're talking about what happened during the height of the pandemic and when things were really uh, jumping off. So I, I actually don't know where it's where it stands right now. Um, but I think for me, um, and David, we've talked about this before, is, you know, there was a lot of grace that people were given. Well, not everyone, but there were, um, for a lot of black leaders, they were given grace, they were given more opportunities um, only to be turned into a threat or for those, for that grace to be rescinded, you know, now that the pandemic, or at least the concerns of it, um, well, I shouldn't even say the concerns of it, but now that we've kind of gone on a downturn, um, that that grace has been rescinded and it's, and it's almost as though the pendulum is swinging really hard back in the other mm -hmm. direction. So I know we've talked about where a lot of people were given more flexibility at work in terms of their schedules and time working from home, you know, all the things that allowed people to both work and tend to their personal lives, take care of their own business, do all of that stuff. And to now 
be almost as though some of these organizations are punishing people because they weren't there. They didn't have the oversight of looking over your shoulder 24-7. And now it seems like they want to punish people or make people pay for the fact that they had to allow them that level of flexibility. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that that kind of, as you're saying, Trina, that mix between we're going to give you grace, we're going to give you space, we're going to recognize that, you know, your paycheck that was going to two, three households amount might be going to four or five households, or the caregiving that you had for a child, niece, nephew, now might include an elder. Um, There was recognition that working virtually, if you were able to, meant that the things at home didn't stop, (laughs) that um, sharing Wi-Fi amongst multiple family members to like Zoom day in and day out, day and night um, were the realities. But then with that came the tracking software. You know, let's see how active your mouse is. Let's check your calendar. Let's let's, um, call you randomly during the day with Zoom to make sure you're at your desk. Let's move meetings that were supposed to be at 2 p.m. to, to noon, just just to see, you know, there was all of these uh, reducing trust while supposedly increasing flexibility uh, right. that had disparate impacts, um, especially on, on black leaders. Where, But at the same time, as you're saying, people were giving opportunities to step up, but some of that stepping up did not come with increased salary. Yes. <laughs> it did not come with increased staff. Um, it didn't necessarily come with more respect. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, a lot to, a lot to, to talk about there, but so you were actually Trina, in a nonprofit when the pandemic started. Um, no, I was, I had already started my sabbatical. Oh, okay. Well, in my career break, okay. I was already on my career break when COVID started. So I did not have to deal with this. Okay. Um, but I wanted to go back to something. I, what, what in your estimation, what happened to nonprofits during the pandemic? Like what, do you think was the the mentality or the mindset, even as you were talking about all the tracking software and all of those things that um, that were being utilized, what do you think was the mindset of those organizations? Mm-hmm. And, and I want to be clear that I was in a consulting firm working mostly with nonprofits and grassroots leaders at the time, not within a nonprofit. But what I saw was folks who were already working on the realities of a racist, exclusive, you know, <laughs> settler state country, um, <laughs> uh, and working on, you know, housing, justice, health equity, um, you know, LGBTQIA rights, all these things. And then adding on top of that a virus that is disproportionately impacting marginalized community, it was a it was like a a ultra call to arms in these organizations because the the disparate impacts and the, the the really challenging things that people were already facing as staff and community that was directly impacted, that was directly connected to the mission, it was just there, here's an on top of mm-hmm. COVID-19 is now an on top of everything else. And so people were just nonstop working, trying to figure out additional funding, and at the same time, how can we support staff who are doing this work, 
whose families are also facing these additional challenges due to the pandemic. So it was that, um, yeah, that, that, that at least on my side, it was figuring out how do we give people grace who we're working with, who we have these, you know, these project plans, these deadlines, these events that we're putting on. And it was this very quick shift to how are we supporting them and whatever they need, given this, um, you know, unprecedented word that everyone's using during this unprecedented moment, unprecedented. And then the other piece being, um, how does our work shift, given that we had all of these objectives, but they may not no longer make sense anymore, right. given the uh, the realities of, of COVID-19. Right. I think from my perspective, I'm looking at it from, from the perspective of their their management and their oversight of their teams and their staff when it came to COVID. So what, you know, from what I observed, uh, again, I was an outsider at that point, but what I observed was this need to, um, I, I think there are a lot of redundant jobs in the nonprofit space, and not just nonprofits, incorporate as well, but there were a lot of redundant jobs and positions that people realized could have been eliminated. Mm. And so, and that strong management track or director level, not even necessarily directors, but often that, that managerial track of folks who realized that their job could be easily replaced and many of those people might be in the good graces of folks in the C-suite or on the board, but when it came down to actual productivity or work, that there wasn't much for them to do. Mm -hmm. Or it revealed people who were in higher up positions, um, maybe they were in the C-suite where they realized they actually don't have that much to do. Yes. And so I think it was very revealing to see who was performing and who wasn't. Because when you were in the office and, you know, showing up every day, it was very easy to um, to have like a mirage, you know, to pretend like you're doing work but not really doing anything that's contributing to the the bottom line of the mission or the goal that you're trying to reach. And so it was very easy to pretend that you were working when you weren't really working. And then you get people who are home and it's like all of a sudden you start to see people just start making up stuff because it's mm. like, even though there's all these real things that could have been worked on and focused on, it was this idea that I have to protect myself from being found out, being fired, whatever it is. And I don't think this is the case for, a lot of, um, I don't think this was what was happening with black people. I'll just say that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's something that was happening. And so this idea that um, we don't, we can't keep watch over our people. And I, and I think that was the, the biggest yes. thing that I found frustrating. And even now where a lot of these organizations realize that we actually can function with people working from home. People don't need to come in here every day. And how can we make this work? But instead, now they're trying to, a lot of organizations are trying to punish people or what seems like a punishment or they want to say, well, you know, we, we come up with ideas better when we're all in the same space. I'm like, you weren't coming up with creative ideas when you were in the same space, you know, five years ago and you think you're going to do it now? I don't think so. I don't think that's what's happening. Yeah. And so this idea of needing to have that, exert that control over people, that that was really concerning. But also... 
On the other side of that, I do think that there were some leaders in organizations who had some decision-making power who were able to say, you know what, um, how can we make this work? And I think they felt that push of everyone stressed out. This is a really scary moment in history. And what can we do to be supportive? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll co-sign all of that. And I think that in addition, some of the things that I also observed were these kind of crises of leadership and power within nonprofits, um, especially nonprofits led by black people and people of color because of that moment. So you have the Trump presidency, you have all of those policies that are affecting black and brown people and, and, and people who are marginalized. You have COVID-19, you have the uprising for racial justice. And whether you were awake before or you woke up at that time, people were looking at the structures of their nonprofits, how power was distributed, how decisions were made, um, to your point, there wasn't half your day spent going around saying hi to people, sitting at the desk, checking in, all that stuff. So you had those moments to actually realize, like, wait, what's happening? And I know from speaking with a number of leaders that, and, and specifically leaders of color, where they then had these very difficult conversations with their staff who were becoming um, very politically organized and motivated about how decisions were being made within their nonprofit. What did impact actually look like? Um, what did the pay transparency look? There was decision-making from the board level that really put a magnifying glass on the fact that so many of the ways that nonprofits uh, were structured were in these very exclusive, opaque ways. And then, you know, that were set up many ways for white leadership, mm -hmm. now led by people of color where their staff of color were saying, wait, what's this? Right. <laughs> I'm now seeing what I see happening at the national and international level playing out within my 501c3, and I want to see changes. And then you're putting that you know, burden, right or wrong, up or down, on that leader of color who's trying to manage their own home life and personal life and their family. What's going on with the board? What's going on with the funders? What's going on with the community that you're ultimately serving? And in many ways, they were in their position because they knew how to play the game. Right, <laughs> right. And now they're be their feet are being held to the fire. So that sort of thing I also saw in addition to, and I just wanted to say again to your point, this whole thing about, yes, it's challenging now because we're not in the office. Mm -hmm. Once we get back in the office and we're back to, you know, being collaborative <laughs> and collegial and, and all that stuff. And it's, and I even at my last organization, which was a consulting firm, there was a presentation done by women identified staff saying why things are so much better now in terms of my caregiving, in terms of my voice uh, being, um, the volume being modulated by Zoom so that we're at the same level that I'm not being sat at the outside of the table <laughs> during mm. client meetings. I'm actually in, you know, the same box, size box as other people. So there wasn't this recognition in many ways that harm was done through the physical space of the office on a daily basis. Yes. And that some people actually got respite from that and were really appreciating that. And that going back to the office was not going to create 
this utopia of collaboration. Yeah, I think, <laughs> and I think you bring up a, a really great point. I, I spoke to a lot of people um, during that time um, who were having very similar experiences. And even as time started to pass, as we were going through the pandemic, where a lot of the feedback that I heard was, I don't have to deal with the microaggressions at work. I am much happier. I can just do my work, focus on my work, and then yes. shut off, and that's it. And I think, I don't know how many organizations are thinking about this. I don't know if they're doing any research on this or whatever, but people who were dealing with hostile work environments and all of those stresses and pressures um, in the environment of the office, when you take those things out, and it allowed people to really just focus on the job at hand. Mm -hmm. um, and listen, and there can a lot of those dynamics could still play out um, in Zoom meetings and email, Slack channels, whatever. You know, you can still have that experience in many ways, but it is it was drastically reduced by the fact that you don't have to see this person. They can't randomly stop in your office. Those sorts of things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember that you um, you taught me that. Uh, if a if an environment if an institution is not serious about changing its culture, any new rubric technology etc. that you introduce to that culture will just be used to maintain the status quo. Absolutely. So if it's you know now we're virtual performance reviews or new time tracking software, whatever it is. That will just be used, as we know for our people, there's always a performance review issue that will be used as evidence yes. <laughs> yes. to support whatever they were going to do anyway. So, um, so yeah, on that, what, what are some of the, the lessons, you know, you know, from the outside, from your clients as well, um, from your own experience that you think we started to learn um, during the height of the pandemic? I think I think one thing that became very apparent was how much time people needed to be able to live their lives and how much time was wasted in the extraneous parts of work, whether it was commuting, whether it was, um, again, these random conversations at work and the stress of having to be in those environments. And and I think when you, you realize, like... Um, how much time you, like you often had to cram doctor's appointments and all these things into one day that you had off from work. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, you try to, you know, see somebody or take care of your business on the weekends and then the next thing you know, you're right back to it. And so I, I think that having that opportunity to say, wow, I have a lot more space in my life to take care of myself um, when I'm not commuting when I'm not going into the office every day I can and I think even just mentally you know that feeling more relaxed now look I don't think that working from home works for everybody I think that's important to say and I'm sure a lot of people did struggle yes and so you know that's important to know everyone everyone is not is not self-motivated or a self-starter and it's not it's not a bad thing that's not a judgment it's just the truth of of human of being human and some people really do need that interaction, even if it's not the best. So I do know that there are some people that did struggle with that. But for the people who didn't, it was like, oh, I I can live my life now. And I think particularly for leaders, um, it, it could have been really stressful, especially people have 
kids at home and that was another big stressor um neither one of us have kids so that's a that's a different situation but I think realizing just the the time that is needed to really tend to your life Mm -hmm. and to take care of yourself take care of your family and I think that was a big lesson learned um I think the other thing was I think a lot of people had um a come to Jesus moment around their work and whether or not their work was actually doing anything, having an impact, making a difference in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Yes. And that is something that I know with a lot of conversations that I was having with people was coming up was what what is all of this for? Exactly. And does it actually work? You know, this thing that my nonprofit does to um, to solve this social problem does the solution actually work? And I know that's something that that often came up, and I don't know that, I don't think that's been resolved because I think that a lot of nonprofits, their goal should be put themselves out, should, their goal should be to put themselves out of business. Yes. And many of them, we know that is not their goal. No. Um, <laughs> it's not their goal. And so I, I think that was um, that was something that I saw. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, that kind of come to Jesus, you know, reflective, looking in the mirror moment, um, really connected with that overall, that overall, that the, because the, I remember, what was it? It was, I was in a nonprofit, I think that was March 13th, was that the Thursday, something like that, the 12th, 13th, I was having a meeting with one of, uh, actually a black uh, leader, identifies as a man, Everyone was running around the office. What do we do? What do we do? I think we're about to shut down. And then I remember that next day, everyone is at home. That that was allowed to be at home. And my sense was, even in the firm where I worked, where, again, I was working both with, mostly with nonprofits, we were already going 100 miles an hour. And the reaction was, if we went 150 <laughs> during this crisis, everything will be fine. We'll mm. figure it out. We just have to work harder. And I think that... They're, they're led to this initial burnout from that big push in those first few months and weeks where people started having that space and time to be like, is this actually helping? Mm. Is me going from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. really helping anything? And I, I know myself, I know many other people did have that moment of like, do we need to take a step back, take stock, understand does our level of effort in this work actually relate to impact? That's um, a great question. Personally. Um, so that was something big. I think the other thing that a lot of people talked about were how clear, um, crystal clear, the expectations around black staff were as it related to the uprisings for racial justice. So there was already this recognition of like, hey, you might be one of few, one of many black people at an organization. We need you to show up for this community event. We need you to be able to speak to this such and such pastor. We need you to do that. We need to do that. But then it was, oh, we have this whole marketing scheme that we figured out of how to like make ourselves look like we're aligned with seeing racial justice for the for America and you know, around George Floyd, mm-hmm. Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, and and the expectations around writing statements, around reaching out to peer organizations, 
around um, what is it the ESG you know stuff about what are our policies and procedures as it relates to understanding difference, the employee resource groups, retreats, uh, talking points for communications around race, and it was so much of this was not paid for. Right. So much of it was last minute. So much of it was this weird intersection between, well, we don't want to burden staff, so let's just do it on our own. And then 24 hours before it's supposed to be published, oh, by the way, we wanted you all to look at this because we're about to put this out. And then you being up all night trying to fix things. Right, right. <laughs> so that that sort of uh, piece was also there. Um, and with that, it allowed for black people to get together virtually and have conversations about what this meant for them that were less obvious than us just sitting together at the table or us being in a conference room in the physical office. Mm-hmm. It was harder to, to know how we were getting together and what we were discussing as it related to our experience within the organization. Um, but yeah. I mean, it was, and that's that's the tricky part, is during that time, the height of it, that people were really um, expected to take on so much work. Mm-hmm. And I think that in addition to their, their workload and dealing with, I think, the, the, the pressures already of being in a very uncertain time with your own family and maybe health issues and challenges, or maybe you got sick and you had COVID, like on top of all of that, you know, taking on these extraneous projects that the organization really didn't have a handle on. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, you're black, so you know how to do it, right? You can do this, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that level of stress, um, a lot of people experience. What do you think nonprofits got right? Or what do you think some of the practices were that people got right during that time? Yeah, yeah. I think that there was there was uh, an explicit, and I know we've talked about this, but an explicit recognition of caregiving responsibility. Mm. I think that before, like, oh, so-and-so leaves early or yeah, you know, they don't they don't ever stay till five. You know, there would be those little comments that are like those sabotaging, you know, putting a stain on your name sort of things. And But during this time, because so many people had to show up uh, who of all different levels of privilege because you were not necessarily inviting a nanny in or that sort of thing, there was this recognition of like, oh, this is a lot of work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're going to give you the space and time uh, to be, you know, logging into those lesson plans and making sure, you know, you're logged, getting your kid, DOE, whatever, private school, whatever it is. All of that stuff, I think, was there. I also heard the, you know, if you need to take a day, take a day. You know, I know this is really hard, like just giving people space to have a little bit of um, time for themselves. I also experienced and I heard from others um, there was an examination in some um, nonprofits in other places of the way that they structured benefits, the way that they structured a work day, um, all the things around accessibility for people um, who have disabilities. There was a lot of really great conversation and change around those things that were completely avoided before. 
right. um, or we're seeing that as an accommodation for few, or is this really necessary? Which a lot of, at least in my experience, white-led nonprofits, like that's their mission. Is this really necessary? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that that was also the case. And I think that there was a little bit of competition. Usually it's competition around like how much money are we raising, quote unquote, what is the impact we're having, et cetera. But it seemed like there was a, there was a competition around how are we showing up for staff? What are we doing, putting in place that is best positioning our staff to navigate this difficult time and kind of bragging about it? I don't think that's still the case. I definitely don't think that's the case. But, but no. that there was that like we're in conversation with nonprofits, with our funders of how we're showing up for our staff. That's melted away. Yes. Um, and um, as we get ready to wrap up, that really leads in to the last question um, that I wanted to pose. What are organizations? Um, so a lot of organizations have gone back to business as usual. Mm -hmm. That's what I've seen. And I think the experience of, of a lot of my clients, that's what they're experiencing. Um, what does that mean for black leaders, knowing that these organizations are going back to business as usual, given the, the grace and a little more freedom that they had during the height of the pandemic? And even for some of them, the pendulum swinging really hard um, back in the other direction where the they're tightening even more around um, there's less flexibility than there was before there's more hours or things that are expected although I, I do think that some organizations are they're still on a hybrid model so I think that's really good I don't know I don't think that everyone is back in the office full-time five days a week completely um, some some are but but a lot aren't and so I, I do think that's something but what would you say, um, what does that mean for black leaders going back to business as usual after the pandemic? Yeah, yeah. So I would I would love to, to, to hear your thoughts, because I guess I went on and on for <laughs> that other yeah. piece. But yeah, what, what did, what's coming up for you? Um, I, I think it's I think it's a it's a time to ask yourself if if the nonprofit that you're in is the right vehicle for the impact that you want to have for the cause that you care about. Yes. And so as an entrepreneur, I can say that, um, look, I, I recognize that everyone is not meant to be an entrepreneur. And so a lot of the conversations that David and I have and are going to be having on this podcast is really to support folks who are in work, who are who are going to be still working in these organizations. Um, but I think you have to I think it's important to be as honest with yourself as possible about what's happening. And by that, I mean, if you work in an organization and you realize that they've pulled back on the supports, they've pulled back on the flexibility, um, they're no longer having these conversations around race. Um, they're no longer having these conversations um, around issues that are impacting other marginalized groups that work in these organizations, um, what does that mean for you and the decisions that you want to make for your work life moving forward? And for some of you, that might mean making a drastic departure. For some of you, that might mean um, how can I work on this a little bit or how can you preserve yourself or how can I get out altogether? I think all of those things should be on the table because I, it's, it's very hard to trust that... Um, that the nonprofit industry is 
doing everything they can in good faith to take care of their people. And I hate to say that, but it's true. I think they're, and so you have to really look out for yourself. And I think knowing how, how the organization where you work is choosing to show up for you right now is something that you have to consider. And is this a place that you want to continue to be a part of? I think that really is what it comes down to. Yeah. Uh, yes to, to all of that. I think the only thing that I would add is, um, and I heard, heard this from, from a nonprofit leader, um, take a look at your policies, take a look at your meetings, uh, take a look at the way that leaders are speaking, um, your agendas, your programs, are things looking exactly the way they did before the pandemic? <laughs> is If the pendulum is swinging in that way where it's almost like there is no recognition that for many people, for their psyches, for their families, for the way they engage with work, uh, their communities, that things have fundamentally changed. If your organization is not recognizing that things have fundamentally changed, that's a moment to pause and really think about if this is the right place for you. Because if they're not allowing um, themselves to learn lessons and to operationalize and institutionalize those lessons around care, around time off, around what productivity means, what success means, about you know staffing structures and, and, and support that's needed, then that's gonna be a real challenge um, and of course, we're here to support people who decide to stay, who need to stay to navigate those challenges. But I think that that's a real, uh, a serious sign if they're going backwards. <laughs> Absolutely. So if this is, um, we've talked about a lot today um, around the pandemic and lessons learned. Um, if, you, if this is something that you want some support with or you've been asking yourself some of the questions that we've posed today, feel free to reach out to, to me and David. Um, if you want additional support, we'd be happy to connect with you. And um, I think we'll wrap it up here. Yes. That's thanks all. so much. And yeah, so much work to do, but uh, we're here. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for listening. All right.